Hi, my name is Maureen Sofak, and you're listening to the Africana Podcast, where we bring Africa to the world bit by bit, uplifting African stories and perspectives while dismantling negative stereotypes and misconceptions. Welcome back to the Africana Podcast. Once again, it is I, your host, Maureen Zafak, media student, writer, binge watcher, extraordinaire, you name it. Thank you for tuning in. We've got an exciting episode for you today. So as I've shared before, I'm Cameroonian American, and I've spent most of my life going back to visit family across Cameroon every few years or so. And every time I go, aside from getting to see my wonderful family, I also get a chance to get a better understanding of regional perspectives and mindsets. And the last time I was there in 2018, pre-COVID, Miss Rona's got us out here like this, I know. I remember sitting in a hair salon, getting my braids done and minding my own business. And of course, listening in on the conversations the hairdressers were having. And something that one of the hairdressers said really struck me. She said, and I translate from French, something along the lines of, I don't dream of going anywhere else. I dream of money right here in Cameroon. Money is good anywhere. And that hairdresser is not wrong. There is wealth and money in Cameroon. But why are individuals such as herself not seeing it, not being able to access it and be a part of that wealth? And there are a lot of misconceptions around the topic. A lot of misconceptions. Many people say that, you know, Africa is the poorest continent. Africa is lying behind. Africa is nothing. And when you go deeply into that, many of those misconceptions, they are totally wrong and absurd. You're listening to the voice of Dr. Salomon Samen, a Cameroonian former senior economist at the World Bank, whose career spanned over 30 years. He worked a lot on trade economics and investment operations, specifically in the Africa region for nearly 20 years. He was gracious enough to extend his expertise and his nuggets of wisdom and different thoughts on the topic at hand will be sprinkled throughout this episode. Wealth and inequality across Africa is a very complex topic that does not often receive the nuanced exploration that it deserves. But that's what I'm here for. And let me tell you, believe me, there is wealth in Africa. However, how does that wealth manifest itself? How does it get siphoned off or disregarded on the global stage? Without further ado, let's get into our episode of the day, Crazy Rich Africa. Now it's time for our African Excellence Shoutout, bringing you a dose of positive images of those on the continent and of the diaspora who are elevating and innovating with the work that they do. Seeing as we're about to talk about the cash monies and economic flows, I found that it would be fitting for this week's shoutout to go to Dr. Ngozi Okonjo Iwela. Dr. Ngozi is a Nigerian trailblazer, an economist, and international development expert who made history in March of last year when she was both the first woman and first African to be sworn in and serve as Director General of the World Trade Organization, or the WTO. If you didn't know, the WTO is kind of a big deal. They're the only global organization which deals with the rules of trades between different nations and helps governments negotiate trade agreements for goods, services, and more. Dr. Ngozi also sits on the boards of several top international companies and organizations, including Twitter, Standard Chartered Bank, Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization, and the African Risk Capacity. She is no stranger to being the first. In her long and impressive career, she also served twice as the finance minister for Nigeria. 
and briefly acted as Nigerian foreign minister in 2006, the first woman to hold both positions. She's a published author who has written books on anti-corruption and development economics. Her latest piece is a co-authored book titled Women in Leadership. This is fitting as she has always champions a woman's place anywhere, anywhere and everywhere they need to be. So shout out to her because a lot of the work that she is doing in her career has to do a lot with what we'll get to in this episode. Africa is rich. Unfortunately, for some reason, the words Africa and rich would appear to many to be an oxymoron. But that's not what European and North American and Asian countries are saying as they partake in the bounties our nations have to offer. Yes, we're going to go there today. Africa is one of the richest continents in the world, full of minerals and gemstones and natural resources. And yet that wealth is not often being seen or reflected in its countries and in the well-being of their citizens. For starters, Almost everyone on earth has a piece of Africa in their hand. Yep, you're probably listening to this podcast on a smartphone or a laptop computer. If so, your device could very well contain coltan from the Democratic Republic of Congo or the DRC, an impoverished yet mineral-rich country in Central Africa that provides 60% of the world's cobalt. Cobalt is also found in electric cars, among other things. We'll talk a little bit more about the situation in the DRC later, so hold on to that thought. We often talk about Africa being the motherland or birth of civilization, and what many overlook is the fact that the world is still heavily reliant on all the goods Africa continues to provide it to this very day. Rich in oil and natural resources, Africa is the fastest growing region for foreign direct investment. It has approximately 30% of the world's remaining mineral resources. So I'll give you a quick snapshot of this abundant natural resource wealth, which ranges from foodstuffs to precious stones. Where are all my chocolate lovers at? According to the Campaign for Fair Chocolate, about 70% of the world's cocoa beans come from four West African countries. Ivory Coast, or Cote d'Ivoire, as it's said in French, Ghana, Nigeria, and Cameroon. Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana are by far two of the largest producers of cocoa, accounting for more than 50% of the world's cocoa. Between 2018 and 2019, Ivory Coast alone produced approximately 2.15 million metric tons of cocoa beans. All your favorite chocolate mega brands, the Hershey's, the Cadbury's for my UK folks, most of them are sourcing their chocolate cocoa beans from these countries. If we're talking about the bling bling or diamonds that is, Africa is home to some of the top diamond producing nations and most of the world's gem quality diamonds have been mined there since the 1870s. That's a long time. (laughs) If you didn't get that. 1870s. Diamonds are an 81.4 billion a year industry that links the mines of Africa, home to 65% of the world's diamonds, with the sparkling sales room of high-end jewelry retailers around the world. In 2017, diamond exports from African countries were valued at $9.65 billion in the global market with Botswana and the DRC among the top five diamond-producing countries in the planet. If we're talking oil and gas, Africa can come to play too. She is home to five of the world's top oil-producing countries, with an estimated 57% of Africa's export earnings from hydrocarbons. Oil reserves have even grown by almost 150% since 1980. And this is spanning from the northern part of Africa, Algeria, Egypt, all the way down to Mozambique. 
Shout out to Al Jazeera. They have this really wonderful comprehensive visual map of Africa's main natural resources. You can check it out online. Africa is not just home to oil and gas, but she's home to precious minerals, forests. Who's doing it like her? I know you heard them dollar signs racking up. Okay, okay. I didn't mean to flex on you like that. I think you get the point. Africa is rolling in it or filthy rich, if you will. So now that you've heard me talking about this wealth in Africa, what's not clicking on the global stage? Why is Africa so fundamentally associated with poverty? Let's start with some cold hard facts. As I've explained, Africa is rich in potential mineral wealth, skilled workers, booming new businesses, and biodiversity. Its people should thrive and its economies should prosper. About 30% of the world's mineral reserves, including platinum, gold, diamonds, and coal are found in Africa, and yet those on the continent still experience high levels of poverty. In short, more wealth is leaving Africa than entering it. It's being extracted by those outside of it. In late 2020, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, or UNCTAD, published a 248-page report which drew up the figures that Africa has lost nearly a whopping $89 billion a year in illicit financial flows, which are also known as illicit capital flows. The World Bank simply defines illicit financial flows, or IFFs, as money illegally earned, transferred, or used at crosses borders. And this can look like tax evasion and theft, among other things. The UN calls Africa a, quote, net creditor to the world. And this echoes economists' observations that Africa, which is seen as an aid-reliant continent, is actually a net exporter of capital because of these trends. And the head of policy and research at UNTAD, Junior Davis, even said that this $89 billion figure is likely a large underestimate, citing their data limitations. And nearly half of that total annual figure of $89 billion is accounted for by the export of commodities such as gold, diamonds, and platinum. So what's wrong with this? Understating a commodity's true value helps conceal trade profits abroad and it deprives developing countries of foreign exchange and erodes their tax base. I know we're about to get a little economics heavy and that's not my strong suit whatsoever, but don't worry, we're going to break it down and work through this together. What these figures show and are demonstrative of is the fact that contrary to the widespread belief that aid going into the continent of Africa is much lower than what Africa is giving to the world, we must ask ourselves, who is helping who? On many a trip to Cameroon, I've seen trucks upon trucks carrying massive loads of enormous tree trunks and timber, knowing that it's leaving there and not going to concretely or directly benefit the people there. Illicit financial flows rob Africa and its people of their prospects, undermining transparency and accountability and eroding trust in African institutions, said UNCTAD Secretary General Mukisa Kituyi, a Kenyan. So let's get into what these implications can look like using Congo, or the DRC, as a case study. And before I get into this example, I want to touch on something called commodity fetishism. Yes, commodity fetishism. We are not letting this media studies degree go to waste, no ma'am. So, what is commodity fetishism? It's a concept that originates in Marxist philosophy, and what it really articulates is the process through which commodities or goods are emptied of the meaning of their production, and by that I mean the labor that produced them and the context in which they were produced or made, and the products are filled instead with an abstract meaning, when it's often done through advertising and different ways of kind of masking that reality. 
So it's a sort of mystification that exists in the system of capitalism between what things are and how they appear. So we kind of attribute a sort of power or glorification of commodities and products as we receive them. So for example, you got a fast fashion company, let's say a Fashion Nova or something like that. We see that the products are affordable, they're cute, they're cheap, come to you pretty quickly. But at the same time, we know that there have been reported complaints about the factory and the labor process that it takes to create the clothing, whether it's the labor wages or the environmental implications of shopping for a fast fashion brand. Commodity fetishism masks the labor and process that produces a commodity. And we're all complicit in doing this, whether it's the phone and tech that you're you're listening to this on. We often don't think about what it took for the products that we have to get to us. So keep that in mind, this concept of commodity fetishism as we talk about the DRC. I want to use the country of the Democratic Republic of Congo, or the DRC, as a case study to eliminate the very real consequences that this cash flow has on people on the continent of Africa. The DRC is blessed with enormous natural wealth and alone holds natural resources worth trillions of dollars. Vast deposits of precious minerals such as diamonds and golds. They've even got precious materials you've probably never even heard of. Have y'all even heard of wolframite and tantalum? Yeah, they're dripping in those too. So let's try to picture what that's like and set the scene. You hear that? That's the sound of workers sifting through riverbeds for raw material. They've got dirt in the cart. They're adding in water to rinse and make sure that it goes away, sometimes using magnets to separate it. They are engaging in the laborious and backbreaking and difficult process of trying to find coltan on precious raw metals. And as I briefly mentioned earlier, the DRC lies at the heart of the world's mad scramble for cheap cobalt or coltan, a term I've used interchangeably, a mineral essential to the rechargeable lithium ion batteries that power smartphones, laptops, and electric vehicles, among other things, made by major companies such as Apple, Samsung, and major automakers. The world soaring demand for cobalt is at times met by workers, including children as young as four years old, who labor in harsh and dangerous conditions, which are not only to mention unethical conditions. An estimated 100,000 cobalt miners in Congo use hand tools to dig hundreds of feet underground with little oversight and few safety measures, according to workers, government officials, and evidence found by the Washington Post during visits to remote mines. Deaths and injuries are common, and the mining activity exposes local communities to levels of toxic metals that appear to be linked to ailments that include breathing problems and birth defects, health officials say. And after all that labor and working for so long, you can sell a kilogram or about two pounds or so for six U.S. dollars. And the workers try to mine 10 to 20 kilos a day. As I mentioned, some are using hand tools like old shovels and equipment, and some of them are even using their hands. Imagine living on, some workers have reported $50 a month, living at 72 cents a day. Meanwhile, there are $24 trillion of wealth underground in your country, untapped mineral reserves. 
And that's also as a result of this brutal taxing, which is almost like a sharecropper system for the workers. 14 DRC families were involved in filing a lawsuit when they had lost children who were child laborers calling out major tech companies such as Google, Apple, Dell, Microsoft, and Tesla, saying that these companies had knowingly benefited from child laborers used to mine cobalt. According to the UN, over 40,000 children have been involved in mining. These kids are not in school, they're not receiving education, and they barely have enough to eat. And this is in a place, in a country specifically, that holds 60% of the world's cobalt. We've also got to think about the historical context of this too. In this present day's mad scramble for cobalt and this scramble for African resources across the continent is very reminiscent of the scramble for Africa, which began in the 1880s. The scramble, which is also known as the partition of Africa, was this moment of the invasion, annexation, and division, and colonization of most of Africa by Western European powers, where they saw Africa as this unknown, dark continent with a lot of mystery surrounding it. And how do you respond to this mystery? Is to colonize and overtake it. And this also had to do with a lot of the precious resources that are on the continent. That continues to this very day. With the DRC specifically, over a century ago, companies plundered Congo's rubber sap and elephant tusks while the country was a Belgian colony. Today, more than five decades after Congo has gained its independence, it is minerals that attract foreign countries. And it's with this idea of commodity fetishism that I touched on earlier. There are problems in the supply chains that create the products and the things that we love and that we use on a daily basis. And it's really this kind of mysticism around them that allows us not to think about what is going into them. I'm not saying stop, you know, buying technology or stop eating certain foods, but we do need to be cognizant of the supply chain and being thoughtful about how the things that we consume and the commodities that we have are produced and how they get to us. Because when people are waiting hours in line for a new iPhone release or drop, they're not thinking about potentially a four-year-old child who was literally risking their life for the metal which charges the battery. In terms of flow of money, the flow of money, meaning money coming in and money coming out, you know, you take the balance and so on and so forth. In terms of flow, every single year, Africa gave, based on many studies, you know, the latest one being the study done by the UNTA, United Nations Center for Development and so on and so forth. Africa gave to the rest of the world, in terms of illicit flows, 90 billion US dollars. 90 billion. And in the meantime, you know, what comes in? What comes in, you know, is the money from ODA, the World Bank, IMF, you know, all those organizations. In terms of foreign direct investment, if you put all that combined, you know, it's about 100 billion dollars. And when you make the difference, you see clearly that, you know, Africa is giving more to the rest of the world, you know, than the rest of the world is giving to Africa. The rest of the world is giving just 100 billion. And Africa is, is giving, you know, about the double. Here's some of my interview with Dr. Salmon, the retired former senior economist at the World Bank, as we discuss this topic. Africa, if you look at all indicators, Africa gives more to the rest of the world than the rest of the world is giving to Africa. If you are poor, how is it that you, know, you are giving more to the rest of the world than what the rest of the world is giving to you? So it's a disconnect. It's a total disconnect. It's a misconception that needs to be clarified. So there is a disconnect, a paradox between, you know, what Africa is, the status of well-being 
of Africa who are poor, you know, and so on and so forth, and a disconnect between the well-being of Africa and the resource that Africa has. And we need to put those resources to the service of the people. And the topic that you are analyzing with illicit flow is one indicator of that. So with like somebody in like, let's say somewhere in the DRC who is working like hours and sifting the coltan from, you know, the mine, although the coltan is sold for high value and it, it does a lot for the world when it leaves the continent, people who are mining it themselves don't make a lot of money, right? So what's the cause of that? The lack of payment for the workers and the lack of investment within the country? It's a combination of all. First, it's a capitalist system. It's a capitalist system whereby, you know, the entrepreneur, the business people want to make money for themselves. If they can pay peanut to people producing that money, they'll pay peanut. They have no constraints. First of all, you know, those people working on coltan mines and so on and so forth, if they don't work there, the alternative is widespread poverty for them. All those people, you know, in those mining places and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. the, the opportunity cost, the alternative for them rather than working, you know, in those coltan mines is zero. So they prefer to get one dollar for coltan than nothing. So the capitalists from the richest country with the investment, they come, they pay them the minimum until the government step in to improve the living condition, to impose some better salaries, to impose some better working conditions, and so on and so forth. But if those workers are left to the capitalists, the capitalists will take everything for themselves and leave peanut, you know, to the workers. So there is a, a role for the government to play to ensure that those people are working, you know, you know under good condition. To also impose, you know, adequate taxes on those people. That means that the government should have one foot in those places. But the capitalists will not make it easier for government to have one foot. And most of the time, because of the corruption, they will just bribe them. What do you think is the biggest misconception regarding Africa's current economic standing in the world? The biggest misconception, you know, is in terms of the African wealth. Uh, as I said, wealth is uh, what is on the ground. On the ground, we also have people on the ground. Africa has the youngest population in the world. That's manpower, with about 1.3 million active working people. At the time where other continents are declining, Europe is declining. If you look at the data from Italy, you know, from China and so on and so forth, the population is going down in all those places. Africa is the only continent, you know, with the manpower ready to get the job done. That's power. And underneath African ground, you have tremendous amount of wealth there in terms of money, in terms of oil, you know, in terms of agriculture and so on and so forth. So those are the misconceptions. Africa is not poor. Africa is not poor. Africa is not lucky beyond. Today, Africa might be beyond, you know, in terms of this status of well-being. People, you know, live there with appearance, you know, opponents. The purchasing power is not rich enough. The opportunities in Africa are not as in other parts of the world. And they live, you know, their life expectancy is relatively short compared to other parts of the world. But those are misconceptions about Africa. It's not, you know, a lagging continent always coming beyond.
So in a way, like we're all sort of complicit in a system where if you buy a phone, if you're sort of contributing to that system where people are being underpaid, but they need that for their livelihood. And we're all kind of intertwined in this. So if you're not involved in governance or, you know, the UN or any sort of governing body as a civilian on a civilian level, is there anything that we can do to contribute to helping spur on this change or combat this exploitation of the continent? On the civilian level, I think the role played by the non-governmental organizations, civil society, they can drum up the issues at various levels, at the main key stakeholders, at the government level, at the level you know, of industrial capitalist firms exporting those places. They can put pressure by drumming up as much as they can, you know, to make noise from the civil society, make noise, you know, in the companies located mostly, you know, in the Western world. The civil society should make more noise to improve the, the level of salary. The government should also put pressure on the capitalists and create conditions, conditions, you know, for people working there to have better salary, better living conditions, not only in the areas where they're working, but in the city, you know, to create better conditions for them, you know, to have a better life, better infrastructure, sanitary health and sanitary infrastructure, the condition for education, to make it possible for their children to have better education there. So how do we change things? How do we fight back? What is changing? There's a British economics professor at the University of Chicago by the name of James A. Robinson. He's devised this theory of optimism about Africa's economic prospects despite the past century's economic setbacks and challenges on the continent. And this paper is titled, Africa's Latent Assets. And it delves into three of these unrecognized assets, which bode for a brighter future for the continent. The first being that African societies are generally achievement-based rather than functioning on a hierarchy system. And that means it's a meritocracy. You work hard and you should be able to see the benefits. And he says that this speaks to a unique ability for social mobility and advancement which is at its highest, and this bodes really well for entrepreneurship. The second asset that Robinson defines is that Africans are cosmopolitan, which means there's a multilingualism that most Africans possess. That means that they are used to dealing with ethnic, linguistic, and cultural differences, which is a major advantage in navigating the global sphere. And finally, Robinson believes that the third latent asset is that Africans are skeptical of power and have a long tradition of resisting authority, and existing governmental structures, which he suggests is a solid basis for building inclusive and accountable political system. This is a lot easier said than done, though. Hopefully I'll get into African government and corruption in a whole nother episode. But something that Robinson expressed when presenting this paper in April 2021 with UChicago's Pearson Institute for the Study and Resolution of Global Conflicts that really resonated with me was when he stated, Africa's real assets are not its gold, oil, copper, They are its people and their unique history, attitudes, creativity, energy, and institutions. And let me say, that's a word. He's not wrong about that one. There's a lot to see happening in the future with Africa's wealth. By 2100, Africa is projected to be the highest populated continent and our robust youth are a source of dynamism and optimism. And Africa's youth are wealth and assets in their own right especially in the world of the digital economy that they're driving. We're seeing this digital revolution where in major cities such as Nairobi, Kenya and Lagos, Nigeria and Accra, Ghana, tech startups are popping up. 
Even Twitter knew what's good, and they made headlines in April of 2020 when it announced that Accra, Ghana would be the site of its Africa headquarters. Fun fact, did you know that Ghana's drone service, which launched in 2019, is one of the first countries to use drones to make on-demand emergency deliveries of 148 different vaccines, blood products, and life-saving medications to health facilities in the country? 24 hours a day? Yeah, we might be onto something. And on that note, with Ghana and cocoa, I mentioned how Ghana is one of the biggest producers and exporters of cocoa worldwide. The global chocolate industry is worth over $150 billion. And as I mentioned, West Africa supplies 70% of those cocoa beans. A lot of those are found in Ghana. In 2020, Ghana's president, Akufo Addo, made a powerful statement during his state visit to Switzerland, which is one of Ghana's major trading partners. I mean, y'all talk about Swiss chocolate, but where does that originate from? He announced that Ghana no longer wants to be dependent on the export of primary commodities, including cocoa beans. It intends to process 50% of annual cocoa beans of annual cocoa domestically, and by extension, expand domestic chocolate production. He said... Ghana is currently Switzerland's largest trading partner in sub-Saharan Africa, larger from the export of gold and cocoa to Switzerland and the import of chemical and pharmaceutical products, as well as light machinery and military equipment from Switzerland. However, as I have stated on occasion, Ghana no longer wants to be dependent on the production and export of raw materials including cocoa beans. We intend to process more and more of our cocoa in our country with the aim of producing more chocolate ourselves because we believe that there can be no future prosperity for the Ghanaian people in the short, medium or long term if we continue to maintain economic structures that are dependent on the production and export of raw materials. He did what he had to do. And here's a story you're not going to hear about on a wider scale because it doesn't fit the narrative that we're so used to hearing about the continent. Usman Touré is a young and talented Pan-Africanist from the Gambia who first gained attention in 2020 when a widely circulated viral video of him was shared where he expressed the importance of the youth seeing the value of staying in Africa and developing it. He recently made waves again in 2021 when after obtaining his bachelor's degree at the University of the Gambia, and applying to graduate school, he rejected all offers and scholarships to attend grad schools in both the U.S. and Europe. Why? Because he opted to go to school in Rwanda. Here's a clip from an interview Usman did with Nigerian comedian Pararan in April of 2021. Last year, your video trend online. They give you scholarship and you say you are not going. So you don't want to go to Canada for school. Why? Well, um, education is about... Trust. Education is about the environment. It's about how you can use what you get about the knowledge of your own society and how you can change it. I did a BSc in development studies from the University of the Gambia. And I at least have an idea as to how it is important for one to acquire knowledge of your environment and how you can promote development from within. So I knew that I have a country that I use as a reference point, which is Rwanda. And I wanted to learn about the Rwandan development model. 
just to remind you, Rwanda is one of those countries that was at zero in 1994, 1994 because of a genocide. And now they are one of the fastest growing countries in the world. And looking at countries like that, there are things that other African countries need to learn from them. So academic challenges an individual to learn from societies like this and how you can bring in solution to your own environment. And that is why I opt to go and do my master's degree in Rwanda. This is a move I can see comparable to Black Americans swerving Ivy League schools in favor of historically Black colleges and universities or HBCUs. If you are a resource, direct that energy into your own community. And we're seeing how some Africans are taking matters into their own hands. Whether that's someone like Senegalese Liverpool football, that's soccer, my Americans, star Sadio Mane, donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to help construct a hospital and school in his home village of Bombali, Senegal, and Nigerian billionaire Aliko Dangote's oil refinery on the continent, creating numerous jobs. People are finding ways to invest in the continent and in our people. And that's something that gives me hope. And when we see these people like Usman investing in the continent and its future, there's not much more we can ask for. Dr. Solomon Samen said it best when he said, The future is for Africa. The future is definitely from Africa. If you take it out, the resources that Africa has, its people, its lands, its reserve. Here's a quote to close us out with from our African Excellence shout out. Dr. Ngozi said, when I became finance minister, they called me Okonjo Wahala or a trouble woman. It means I give you hell, but I don't care what names they call me. I'm a fighter. I'm very focused on what I'm doing and relentless in what I want to achieve, almost to a fault. If you get in my way, you get kicked. And that's the energy that I feel like a lot of these people who are radically finding new ways to invest in the continent of Africa and really bring it towards the future and combating against these repressive systems that have been placed on the continent of trying to deplete her of her resources and everything that she does for the world. We're not backing down. We are spreading awareness. We are putting our money where our mouth is. And that's what we love to see. That's all we can ask for. Africa's a fighter. Believe that. So let that sink in and marinate and hopefully you'll come back to hear more of what I have to say. I have a lot more in store for this project, so stay tuned. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sticking with me through this hiatus, <laughs> this unplanned hiatus. But all your words of support and encouragement have been really touching and I really appreciate it. If you have any thoughts on this episode or suggestions on topics you'd like to hear me touch on, you can reach out to me through our Instagram account at Africana Podcast or email me at AfricanaPodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to help support, and you know you do, Share with a friend and subscribe and follow on your listening platform of choice and leave a positive five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps me a lot. Credits to Evo Beats and Sound Library for the musical interludes and to me for the research and editing. Thank you for listening. Until next time.